Thanks for listening to the Washington Post Live podcast. We're grateful to have you as a listener, and we want to learn more about your listening habits and how we can serve you better. We're running a survey, and Wednesday, August 10th, is your last chance to share your thoughts and enter a sweepstakes to win a $100 gift card. It shouldn't take much more than five minutes to complete. Go to WashingtonPost.com slash podcast survey. That's WashingtonPost.com slash podcast survey. Thank you for listening. And now, back to the Washington Post Live podcast. You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live. Hello, welcome to Washington Post Live. I'm Leanne Caldwell, anchor here at Washington Post Live and co-author of the Early 202 newsletter. Joining us today is the chair of the Foreign Relations Committee, uh, New York Democrat, uh, Gregory Meeks. Congressman Meeks, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Of course, and to our audience, please feel free to join in this conversation by tweeting at us at Post Live, and we will try to get some of your questions answered. Mr. Chairman, uh, I want to start with the big news of the day, and that is, uh, well, what happened last night is the FBI search of Mar-a-Lago, President Donald Trump's records um, that he has there. What is your response to this? Is this like what the Republicans are saying, uh, uh, government overreach? No, I think that uh, we've all said, I mean, the Republicans have done investigations, remember, of Hillary Clinton for, for months and months, um, and with nothing to show for it. But we know that uh, no one politically was involved in this, that there had to be various approvals from uh, from a grand jury and from a judge. Uh, so we've always said no one is above the law, no matter the president of the United States. So apparently they're generally, as a lawyer, they would have to have probable cause uh, for a judge to sign a warrant to do something of this nature. So I think that what has to be done is the ju judicial process or the process, the criminal justice process is just moving along. But there obviously had to be probable cause uh, for a warrant to be uh, granted. Right. And I want to ask you about the reason we asked you on this show is about your trip to Taiwan with House Speaker Nancy Pelosi last week. Um, and the the reaction that it's gotten. So tell me first, when you were in Taiwan, what did you hear from the Taiwanese? Were they concerned about your visit, especially given China's threats and escalation before and since then? Not at all. They were so happy for us to be there. They thanked us. You know, there was over 250,000 people in Taiwan that was tracking our flight into Taiwan. When we landed, uh, uh, the greetings were just fantastic. The streets were lined with individuals as we left the airport going to our hotel. One of the largest buildings, uh, uh, skyscrapers, was saying, we love you, Nancy Pelosi. Thank you for being here. Uh, around our hotel, uh, people in the streets with signs welcoming us. So they were, the, the people of Taiwan was very appreciative that was there when we met with the president and members of their legislative body, they were all very thankful and said, thank you for being here. Uh, it was a warm reception, no regrets. They were very happy that we were there. Um, um, and so there is no question. I mean, we all know about China's aggression, uh, but uh, the people of Taiwan uh, wanted to know that their friends uh, are with them. And, um, 
And they demonstrated just that by the reception that they gave us. Some people have expressed concerns since then, including the Australian Prime Minister. Um, Some diplomats have said that this perhaps could um, escalate tensions with China, um, increase the chances perhaps of even war. What is your reaction to that? Is that your assessment of what could happen? Look, I've traveled to Taiwan previously. There's been other members that have traveled to Taiwan. There's nothing that we did was different. You know, it's the status we, we you know, wanted the status quo. Um, members have traveled, other speakers have traveled to Taiwan. Um, so there's nothing that was done on the United States part. The only one that wanted to change the status is Beijing. Uh, the only one that's talking about aggression even before we arrived was Beijing. There was nothing that we did. Uh, so the clear answer here is, you know, I think that. China, and can be predicted, wanted to intimidate. This is something that they were planning uh, and would continue to do uh, off and on. But when our friends are threatened as that is, as, as, as Taiwan has been, that's when you need your friends to be with you. And so we knew what was going on in that regard. And so we want our friends to know that uh, we're there. We're not going to desert them. Uh, and I will say to you that the other countries that we visit in the region, Malaysia, South Korea, Japan, Singapore, they were happy we were there and we stopped in Taiwan also. So do you think then that China's actions and words are just uh, efforts to intimidate and not threats that they might follow through on? Well, look, there's some things that I can't discuss. You know, we've had a lot of classified meetings with uh, our folks on the way there and before leaving. Um, but I will say that um, um, uh, I don't think that uh, China, other than having talk and doing the test, which I will say, you know, some unprecedented flying missiles over Taiwan, going close to the Jap- Japanese territorial waters, uh, which is why Japan was happy that we were there. You know, um, but I, I uh, think that those threatening moves by them is an attempt to intimidate. And uh, the Taiwanese surely would not be, and we're, we're not intimidated, uh, as you might have heard recently from their uh, foreign affairs uh, uh, minister. Uh, and surely, uh, the you know our delegation and the Speaker Pelosi is not intimidated by uh, by Beijing and uh, and President uh, Xi. Did the Biden administration dissuade you? Try to dissuade you? from making that stop, what did they say to you? Well, you know, President Biden is very aware, being a former senator, of the difference between the legislative bodies and the executive. Uh, And uh, so therefore he knew that we had a responsibility and that we should do what we thought was right. And I'm appreciative to President Biden in the sense that, you know, the uh, authorization and, 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 and the protections that were needed, et cetera, uh, it was all, you know, we made sure that the trip was a safe trip. Um, so uh, he did not say to me, Nancy Pelosi, anyone, you know, because he knew that we had a responsibility to do it. Uh, and he also realized and said uh, that he supported us, uh, you know, uh, and and did support us during and after the trip. So. Um, no, I think President Biden uh, did 
the responsible things. And, 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 you know, he's been very involved as a former chair of the Foreign Affairs Committee himself. Uh, and he knows that it was it is important to show that we stand with our friends and our allies. How would you assess the overall relationship between China and the United States right now? Well, it's very tense at the moment. There's no question about that. It's tense on the Taiwanese Strait. And, uh, and as a result, you know, we've got things that we still need to talk about and work together on, like climate. We've got to, you know, make sure that we're doing those things. We've got to make sure the conversation continues. Now, I've visited China on several times. I've always and will continue to have dialogue and conversations with its ambassador when they come to visit with me. They knocked on the door, as they did just before uh, we left on this trip. So we just, you know, we need to have uh, these conversations with them, and we'll continue to have these conversations with them. Uh, but there's no question that uh, it's clearly a tense moment uh, on 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 the on the Taiwanese Strait, and that's why I also think that it was um, very important. Uh, for us uh, to be there and to stress that what we want is the status quo. We're not trying to change anything. Uh, we're not uh, promoting anything other than that. We just want to the status quo there. And China should know to, to do that. They should not uh, force to change things. Um, so that's where we are, you know. But we, we, we've got things that we've got to work on. We disagree on uh, on trying to change the status of Taiwan. Mm -hmm. I have a question from a, a viewer. Randall Marks from Maryland asks, former President Trump was very aggressive. Or I'm sorry, would you favor putting a U.S. naval base in Taiwan? If not, how do you deter Chinese aggression? Look, we've always agreed that we would give uh, the Taiwanese the defensive uh, weapons that they need to protect themselves. Uh, and, you know, in my uh, committee, for example, uh, there's several uh, uh, bills uh, that we are putting in place and provisions uh, that we uh, have signed the law, like the, you know, we want the Taiwanese, the Taiwan Peace and Stability Act, uh, which has happened, uh, the Taiwanese Reassurance Act, and provisions, of, you know, to expedite getting them the diff different equipment that they may need uh, to defend themselves. Uh, so um, we will stand by. Uh, I don't think that we need to do anything. Taiwan, when we spoke with the uh, President Lee, that, that they're ready to defend themselves uh, and will de defend themselves. They're not intimidated by China at all. Uh, so we will continue to do those things that we've done uh, all along uh, to, uh, to, to make sure that uh, we are uh, cooperating with Taiwan uh, in the face of uh, Beijing's aggression. I want to move on a little bit to another trip you just took. You uh, just were in Colombia because for the swearing in of Gustavo Petro, who is the new president there, an avowed leftist, why did you attend that inauguration? Well, I was there with uh, administrator. Uh, Samantha Power as the official congressional delegation. Uh, Colombia has a 200-year history uh, with the United States of America. They are probably the most important country uh, to us in on the hemisphere. Uh, we've got great close working relationships. Uh, and here we have democracy at work, a president 
that was elected by a uh, by by the people of Colombia uh, in a, a a clean, transparent election. Democracy is what we talk about all the time, and there's plenty of areas of which we will continue to work with them. In most areas, just about all of them, we talked about and listening to his uh, inauguration speech. And for me personally, one who has been invested in Colombia for over 22 years, uh, watching the progress that they've made, having had a relationship with every president since I've been a member of Congress, starting with President Uribe to uh, President Santos to uh, President Duque, uh, now to President Petro, uh, it is important. Uh, and the focus that he has on trying to make sure that uh, violence has ended uh, in Colombia, that uh, both violence from uh, the guerrilla groups and violence from narco traffickers. Uh, there's things that we can do collective, uh, new ideas that he may have and ideas that we're working on. So there's, uh, and, and, and the conversation that we had with him, which was, I think, a uh, very good conversation uh, and, and will continue. So it was extremely important uh, for us to be there to let him know that for the United States of America, we uh, want to continue the relationship that we've had for over 200 years. But are there any concerns that there's more and more uh, countries in South America that is electing far left leaders? You have Colombia now, Peru, Venezuela, of course. Is, you know, is that going to be a problem? Well, listen. I don't think that the people who speak are the kind of government that they want. Uh, did you hear the same questions when they were far right uh, presidents elected? The people have a voice yeah. and they try to move forward in that regard. So I don't see, I see my thing is democracy. That's what we talk about. We don't want someone that's going to come in and, and be, because right now it's a struggle between democracy and autocratic governments. So the people's voice was heard. And as long as that occurs, whether it's to someone to the left or someone to the right, you know, did we, you know, a lot of folks in America, we elected a right-wing president six years ago. Then there's another election. In fact, the president we had did not, still doesn't acknowledge that he lost, even after all the votes were counted. That's the kind of person you don't want because they not believe, following the democratic process, having people like the Hungary president, uh, Orban, who came in, who clearly is undemocratic. Those are the people that we want to call out not to work with, those that don't believe in democracy. But here in Colombia, you had an example of a clear-cut, clean election with the voice of the people. So you got to acknowledge the voice of the people and work together because we're promoting democracy. There's some concern that with the leftward movement of some of these governments, that there could be a spike in attempts to immigrate to the United States from South Americans. Is that a concern that the United States should have? And is there a plan in case that does happen? Look, I don't think so. What I think is what people who are running to migrate to the United States are people generally under authoritarian governments, not democratic governments. And they're under situations where there's crime, there's murder, there's killing, there's homicides, uh, there's no peace. 
So they're running for someplace better. They don't want to leave. They don't want to leave their homeland. They're forced to leave. And in instances like Colombia, where clearly, you know, the areas that where people have been killed and moved around as those of African descent on the Pacific coast. And what we've talked about moving forward is to make sure that they're included in the peace process. And our great uh, Samantha Power, who is with us from the USAID, going into those areas, working with the Colombian government to try to make sure that we can reduce the violence that's there. The number one uh, uh, part of the inauguration speech that President Petrus was talking about was ending the violence, stopping the wars, trying to figure out how do we make investments in communities that have been left behind, mm -hmm. trying to work together with climate because the climate and people coming in has been the ones that, that hurt them. So yeah. the way that we do that is to work collectively with the governments. To me, you know, we had this great plan. And this is what happened with me when I was, and uh, how I got involved in Colombia. We started with Plan Colombia. And when you looked at the big cities, whether it was Cartagena, or Bogota, or Medellin, they weren't safe. They were being run by narco traffickers. And the United States and Colombia came together to figure out for the municipal cities, how they could take them back and make sure that people were safe. When I first went there, you couldn't go certain places because you of fear of kidnapping. So they worked and they successfully, now you go to Cartagena or Bogota or Medellin and other places, there's tourism back. What was left out was the farmlands, the agricultural lands, the Pacific coast, where the indigenous and African Colombians were. So half the plan for peace in Colombia was done. So now you got to do the second half. And that's what President Petros was talking about, to make sure that those that have been left out are included. Mm -hmm. And in talking to those people and in talking with, you know, working with the United States, the same kind of formula that we worked out for plan Colombia, we should work together for peace in Colombia, particularly on the Pacific coast with the indigenous and African Colombians live. On Sunday is going to be the 10th anniversary that uh, Washington Post freelance journalist Austin Tice has been held captive in Syria. Is the United States doing enough and that to ensure his freedom and to ensure that he remains alive? You never do enough until you get home. You keep trying. You keep working. I know our committee, I work, we work in a bipartisan way there. I work with uh, uh, Mike McCall on sending letters. We just sent two letters from the committee uh, to the administration and to others. We want all of our prisoners that are being held to be released so that they can come home. And so are we doing enough? You're never doing enough until they come home. You keep working at it. And I think that the administration is focused on that, as we see that's taking place with Russia also, with uh, two of our uh, two folks that's being held hostage. We have others in Venezuela. So 
we've got work to do, and I will never be satisfied until each and every one comes back home to their families. Chairman Meeks, we are out of time. Thank you so much for joining us today and very timely discussion. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com.